Good morning, 1030. How are you? All right. All right. Hey, I'm excited to be teaching today during this performer series. I just want to make a confession, though, right up front. You know, when 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 I heard that we're going to be teaching a series on performer, I was like, you know what? This series, I don't see how it's going to relate much to me. Uh, So. I'm so glad we're doing it. I believe our community needs it. I believe our city needs it because we live in a city full of performers. But my confession up to to you right now is I thought I was going to be able to skid by, nothing happened, and and, and it's going to be for all you guys. You see, because I'm not your typical performer. At least so I thought, you know, but every message has been speaking to me. Every message God has been sharing and revealing something to me that he wants to set me free from when it comes to this performer and receiving approval and the applause of people. I used to think I I don't live for people's approval. I don't live for their applause. But man, I've been so wrong. I've been so wrong. But I'm not your typical performer. If I, if I had a name this series, I would have called it the reluctant performer, right? You know how Ben was saying last week, like there's, there's two groups when it comes to this performer thing. There's those that lean into it, right? They receive energy from performing. And there's others who shy away from it. I'm in that latter group. I'm in that latter group. And let me give you another example of how this plays out. You know, Ben Ben shared with us how he is a three on the Enneagram, if you've heard of that personality type before. Um, a, a three, if you're a three, threes are, um, they're image conscious, they, and they have this strong internal drive to win or achieve or to succeed. They are your prototypical uh, performers and achievers. I'm not a three, though. I'm a nine. I'm a peacemaker, Okay. God didn't give us that internal drive. Do you know the word that is used uh, usually to uh, define um, a, your typical nine, your typical peacemaker? Sloth. <laughs> sloth. That's the word that they, they didn't use relaxed. No, sloth. Now, I want to keep my job, so let me tell you how that plays out and what that all means uh, on a work week, all right? Sloth doesn't mean that this personality type is lazy. No, what it, what it means is that the, what's most important to a nine, what's most important to a peacemaker is comfort. Comfort. So they, they're going to do everything possible to avoid conflict or to avoid discomfort. They're going to avoid conflict outwardly and also inwardly. So uh, what, if left to their own devices, what that means for a nine is that they're going to work on everything else except what's most important. How many of you can relate? This, this past week, I heard someone described as the hardest working lazy person on the planet. That person is likely a nine, all right? And, and this is probably why I didn't finish my message until last night, but as of Friday, Ben has his next 10 messages done, all right? I, I saw Isabel nodding her head because she has to put in my notes into version into, into our app. So there's some truth behind that, though. But seriously, I, I was mistaken about what I would get out of this series. But every message, God has been showing me something. Even though I don't try to live for the approval and applause of most, there's one or two people in my life whose opinion really matters to me. And at times, that can become unhealthy. So I'm thankful for this series. And and I'm also thankful for my small group. Man, we've been having some great conversations around these topics. And guys, if you are not in a small group, but if you're not in a discussion, uh, sermon-based discussion group, I'm going to recommend if this series has been speaking to you, I'm going to recommend that you join a group at this time um, in this fall. Because you're going to be able to hear different perspectives from other people that you probably hadn't considered as you heard 
heard the message. And you're also going to be able to receive more practical ways to apply what you've been hearing and learning from this series. So be sure to do that because it's been some amazing conversations taking place, at least in my small group. And I've heard that the same about many small groups here in our community. So, but here's what I want us to talk about today. Why, while I don't care much for performing in front of people in order to gain their approval, that's just too much work for me. Um, here's where I fall into the performer trap. If I'm not careful, my entire life can feel like a performance before God. When I am not at a good place spiritually, my entire life can feel like a performance before God. Now, I know that God sees also in some sense my entire life is before God, but I'm not talking about that. What I'm referring to is that feeling that God is judging everything that I do. For every action or inaction, he's given me a grade of pass or fail. So the lie that I tend to believe the most is that as long as I'm performing or behaving well, then God loves me and he looks down on me favorably. But once I misbehave, I lose that love. Once I get off track, he's now upset at me and I lose his love. And I know I'm not the only one that struggles with this. How many of you have felt that God turned his back on you because you hadn't prayed or read your Bible in some time? Or that God is upset at you because you fell back into a habitual sin that you've been struggling with for many years in your life? Or on the flip side, how many of you have felt that your relationship with God couldn't be better because you were doing well in those areas? But guys, we are not performers for God. We were never meant to be performers for God. We are sons and daughters of God. Sons and daughters. Can you imagine if I gave my kids a pass or fail grade every day based on how they behaved? Can you imagine if I did that? That just based on how they behave today, I was going to adjust my approach with them. If they misbehave, I was going to be a little harsher with them today. But if they performed well, I was going to give them extra love. What, what kind of parent would, that be, would I be? That is not what a loving child-parent relationship should look like. And it's not what our relationship with God should look like. Guys, after studying for this message and understanding the impact that this type of mentality has had on me, I believe one of the worst things for our spiritual growth and relationship with God is falling into the performer mentality with him. To think that we are performers before God. And so my hope and prayer is that we will find freedom from that today. That we will find freedom. Because it was never meant to be that way. But it's something we so easily fall into. In a world where everything is contingent and and, and conditional based on our performance, it's hard for us to, to grasp unmerited grace, this overwhelming love. But that's what God has for each and every single one of us. So we're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 23. If you will, please stand as we read God's word. Just three verses today, Matthew 7, verse 21. That's where we're going to start. This is Jesus teaching from his Sermon on the Mount. He says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? 
Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. You may be seated. It's a tough passage. It's a strong passage. But it's an important one. Jesus is teaching one day on a mountainside to a large group of people. And as he's wrapping up his sermon on the mount, he tells his audience, not everyone who calls me Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. And one thing we need to keep in mind here is that these aren't just people that are honoring Jesus with their lips. No, they are actually doing things for Jesus too. Or so they believed. Jesus says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we perform miracles in your name? They, they are hitting Jesus with a rhetorical questions in, in essence saying, isn't what we did for you enough? Aren't these supernatural miracles and activities enough for you? They were perplexed that he would be rejecting them based on how they performed. And how many are you with them? Not understanding why would Jesus reject them? I was in that camp. I, I came from a religious tradition where men and women who did these types of things, like prophesying and teaching powerfully and laying hands on people and them falling over and, and so on and so forth. I came from a tradition where those men and women were revered. They weren't just regular Christians. They were the superstars of our faith. And so we would look at them and we would say, man, the hand of God is on them powerfully. And we all aspire to be like them. We all desire to be used by God in that way. But Jesus is like, slow down, slow down, slow down, slow down. Just because those things are true of them, just because they are performing in that way, doesn't mean that they will enter the kingdom of God. Now, to be clear, I'm not saying that the supernatural gifts of the spirit are wrong. I'm not, I'm not condemning an entire denomination um, because of their expression. And neither is Jesus. But what Jesus is condemning is anyone who would use their performance as proof that they are truly his followers. Anyone who would use it as evidence. And, it, and for many of us, it's hard for us to fathom. But the fact of the matter is that we can do a lot of performing for Jesus or in his name, but miss Jesus completely. We can do a lot of performing for Jesus or in his name, but miss him completely. And so what Jesus is doing in this passage is something that he does throughout his teaching ministry. Time and time again, Jesus finds it necessary to differentiate between true and false disciples, to draw a, a, a line in the sand between his true and false disciples. I want you to see what Tim Keller has to say about this. And he uses a word that I don't dare use, so I'm going to quote him verbatim, okay? I'm not bold enough. He says this, it's overwhelming when you read the Bible how scared Jesus is, that anybody would think that they're Christians when they're not, would follow him and find out in the end that they were following for wrong or false reasons. He's almost scared and it's almost overwhelming. Keller is like, Jesus is greatly concerned. That's, that's the word I would use. All right. That, that, that would be my choice. Greatly concerned of people getting it wrong, but thinking all along that they got it right. 
He's greatly concerned for people missing out on him when they thought they were with him all along. He's concerned to the point that he's almost scared. And the evidence is overwhelming. This is why Jesus told a lot of parables. This is why Jesus once told a parable about ten bridesmaids. They all look the same on the outside, but five of them are really waiting for the bridegroom, and five are not. And in the end, the five who were not were rejected. This is why Jesus tells the parable of the wise and foolish builders, which comes right after our main passage in Matthew 7, 24. These two builders each build a house. The house is, here's, here's the key part. The houses both look exactly the same on the outside, but one of them is on the sand and one of them is on the rock. And so when the storm comes, one of them falls, the one on the sand, and the other one stands, the one on the rock. And we can keep going and going. You have the parable of the four soils, different results. You have the parable of the talents. You have the parable of the great banquet. They are all meant to differentiate between true and false followers. But why? Why? Why the overemphasis and why is Jesus almost scared? Think about it this way. If Christianity is true... What is the most dangerous position to hold? If Christianity is true, what is the most dangerous position to hold? Is it more dangerous to say outwardly and openly that you have no interest in Christ? Or is it more dangerous to follow Christ for false or wrong motives? Which is more dangerous? It's the latter. To follow for false or wrong motives. Keller goes on to say this. Jesus is always teaching us that non-Christianity is nowhere near as dangerous as false Christianity. Because non-Christianity is more readily remedial. You can remedy it. But false Christianity is an unbelief under the veneer of belief. Like a disease which works internally underneath the veneer of health. A false Christianity that many of us tend to operate under, which has the appearance of belief, which has the appearance of health, is this idea that we can or must earn God's love and approval. We tend to believe that we can earn or must earn God's love and approval, but it's not possible. It's not possible. Guys, do you understand that on your best days, you're still not worthy of God's love? But I also want you to know that on your worst days, you can't lose God's love. On your best days, you're not worthy. And on your worst days, you can't lose it. And if we could earn, if if any of us could earn God's approval on our own, then that means Jesus came and died for no reason at all. But he had to come. We are approved by God only because of what Jesus has done on our, on our behalf. Pastor Ben shares this passage with us often. 2 Corinthians 5.21 God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Guys, we are righteous. We are approved by God. We are applauded by God. But not because of anything that we've done, but because of what he has done on our behalf. 
And that's the only reason. That's the only reason. So guys, on that day, on that day when you are ready to enter the kingdom of heaven, on that day when you see Jesus face to face, you don't have to worry about him saying, get away from me. I never knew you. You don't have to worry about presenting your resume. You don't have to say, God, look at all these things that I've done. Look how I came to church every once in a while. Look how I gave some money. Look how I served in Epic Kids. Look at what I've done. You don't have to say those things, but you can look Jesus right in the in the eyes and say, before you speak, I know you. I know you because a few decades ago, you came into my life and you transformed me. Your love captured me and it changed my life forever. It changed my life forever. And that is the only thing that will get you into the kingdom is putting your trust in what Jesus Christ has done for you is putting your trust in his goodness and his love. Nothing else, nothing else. I'm afraid just like Jesus, that some of you will miss out. That you'll miss out. We can't do anything to earn his love, but he's done it all. He's done it all. False Christianity is self-reliant, but true Christianity is christ Reliant. It all rests and trusts and depends on him. Guys, last week, do I need a new mic or are we good? Okay. Last week, Pastor Ben made a clear call for baptism. A clear call for baptism. And what was cool is that a few people responded in faith. And, and next Sunday, the way it's looking, we'll be, we'll be celebrating baptism at all three of our gatherings, which is amazing. And we're excited about that. But I know that there are still many of you that need to take this next step. And, and the reason that you need to make baptism your next step of faith is because you have been delaying for the wrong reasons. I had a conversation with someone last week right after Ben's message, and we were talking about different things. And they, you know, they mentioned that they were contemplating baptism, which is cool. And they told me about their faith in God. But when it came down to it, they told me that they didn't feel ready to get baptized. They, they just didn't feel ready, which is understandable. But I'm going to tell you, just like I told that individual, if you are waiting to be ready to be baptized, then you're missing the point. You, 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 you're, you're missing the point. I'm not talking about if you are still wrestling with the claims of Christ. That's a whole different story. But if you're waiting to be a better person or if you are waiting to figure out if you can actually live for him in a way that would be pleasing and approving of him. Or if you are waiting for the moment that it won't feel awkward to get into the water with a bunch of people that you don't know or in front of a bunch of people that you don't know. Not all of us are going to be in the water. But if you're waiting to feel deserving to be baptized, you are missing the point. Baptism is for those that have discovered that they will never be ready. But there was one who is ready, who was ready, and he came and did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. So through baptism, you are declaring that you have put your trust in Jesus, in the one who was ready. And so as you are lowered into the water, representing Christ's burial and death, you're saying, I'm dying to my self-reliant ways. And as you're raised up out of the water... As Jesus Christ was resurrected, you're saying, I'm being raised up to a new life in faith in him. Many of you need to make baptism your next step. 
Because you recognize that you're not ready and you never will be. But he did for you what you couldn't do for yourself. Now, for the rest of my time, I want to shift gears for a moment. I hope it's clear that I believe that we can't earn God's approval based on what we do. But I, but I also don't want you to walk out of here and believe that God doesn't care about your behavior at all. That's not the case. Based on the scriptures, does God care about how we live our lives? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. We can't live however we want and expect to be okay with God and call ourselves Christians. And we could just go back to Matthew 7.21. Who does it say in Matthew 7.21 will enter the kingdom of heaven? Those who do the will of the Father. There's something that needs to be done. But God is more concerned about how it gets done than simply what gets done. He's concerned about how it gets done than what gets done. And this is where we get hung up. Because we see that we need to do things, right? So we think that the will of God is simply to serve or give or pray or worship or prophesy or heal or do whatever it is that we've been told this is what you need to do in order to please God. But no. You see, because it's possible to do all of those things for selfish reasons. To benefit yourself. To look good in front of others. To pacify any guilt that you might have. It's possible to do all of those things for selfish reasons. And just a few verses earlier, we see this very thing happening. In Matthew 7.15, while differentiating between true and false prophets, Jesus says this, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Here's the problem. Do you see it? We get it wrong when our inward life and our outward life don't match up. When they don't match up. Jesus says that these false prophets are sheeps on the outside, but wolves on the inside. Check out what the Apostle Paul has to say about this. He writes in 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. He's saying if I'm a sheep on the outside but a wolf on the inside, I have nothing. I missed the point completely. The will of the Father is for you and me to love. Hear me. Performance without love equals nothing. Nothing at all. What you do for God isn't nearly as important as the type of person that you are. Your performance and your gifts and your talents are nearly as important as your character. But we fall into the performance trap when we only focus on the outside. We're only focused on the outside. The, prefer, the, the performer is only concerned with how they are being perceived by others. So they do whatever they must to put their best foot forward, even though inside they know they're a mess. They try to keep that side of them hidden 
And although we may be able to deceive others for some time with our performance, it won't work with God. You see, because the Lord, as it says in 1 Samuel 16, 7, the Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. He can see right through us. My wife um, shared this quote with me this week, and I believe it is so fitting to help us know the solution for our performance mentality before God. It's from Philip Yancey, and he writes this. Human beings do not really admit desperation. But when they do, but when they do, the kingdom of heaven draws near. Guys, I love this quote because it points to this fact. The only way out of the performance trap is to recognize our need for Jesus. The only way to be approved and accepted by God is to recognize our need for Jesus and to call on him to save us from ourselves. The only way out is to turn to him and to put our trust in his love and sacrifice. So as we close, let me ask you a few questions. Is your performance-driven outlook keeping you from Jesus or keeping you from his love? Is it keeping you from Jesus or is it keeping you from love? Which, as we will see, are one and the same. Are you too focused on the outside that you are neglecting the inside? Are you operating under a false Christianity that is self-reliant and not Christ-reliant? If, if I could just summarize everything in my heart and everything that I'm trying to relate to you today, I would do so with two questions and two answers to those questions. Do you know why you don't have to perform for God? Because you are loved by him more than you could ever imagine. Do you know why you should perform for God or for others? Because you are loved by him more than you could ever imagine. I believe that that captures this idea that God wants us to be transformed by his love so that we can then in turn love others. What God desires most is for us to be transformed from the inside out by his love. The will of God for my life and for your life is for us to give of ourselves sacrificially for the sake of others. And this is what the Apostle John argues that Christ did for us, and therefore we should do it for others. And I, and I just pray, take time this week to look back at this verse. It's in 1 John 4, 7. John writes this, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Guys, don't perform to earn, perform to love. And I believe what God wants to do is set us free from this performance mentality that we have to give to him, perform to, for him in order to earn anything from him. But we can't do it. It's not possible. 
Let us be set free from that by his love so that we can then in turn love others. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for this time. God, my prayer is that we would all reflect and be transformed by the fact that you have loved us, that we will remember that there's nothing that we can do to earn your love, to earn your approval, but you've done it all. You've done it all through the sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ. And God, I pray that we will put our trust in that sacrifice, put our trust and hope in him and in him alone. And God, as a result, that we won't just stay there, but God, we will respond in love to others, that we will act. God, you still want us to perform. But performance without love equals nothing. It means nothing. And so, God, I pray that you will help us focus in on you. God, this is a paradigm. This is a framework that we're not accustomed to, that we can receive overwhelming love from you, unmerited grace, even though we are undeserving. But let your love transform us and change us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. I'm going to ask you guys to stand at this time. We're going to celebrate communion. And just like baptism, this is another thing that we do to show that it's not based on what we do that we have God's love, but it's based on what's been done for us. So as we take the bread, which represents Christ's body, and we dip it into the juice, which represents his blood, which was poured out for us, let us be reminded of his great love and his great sacrifice. Let's respond.